seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is a ritual. In September of 1993, the X-Files introduced a new iconic duo to audiences around the world. Agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully embodied the dualism of skepticism and curiosity, the human desire to discover what's really going on, and the protective urge to refuse that reality. As the series moved through Monsters of the Week and became entangled in a complex web of interrelated and increasingly unclear conspiracies, an archetypal pattern emerged. There are outlier events. We all have weird memories, half-dreams, and strange coincidences we struggle to make sense of. For some of us, these are few and far between, easy to explain away or just sweep back under the status quo. But what happens when the weirdness refuses to retreat, when ordinary reality fails to reassert itself? The outliers add up and create a problem a series of connections that require new paradigms to make sense of. This is the path by which scientific revolutions occur, as unusual data leads open-minded inquirers to ask previously unacceptable questions and eventually arrive at unorthodox answers. But in the realm of the personal, these revolutions often come in the form of acute crises. We're all born into belief systems, indoctrinated in the dogma of church, state, family, and common sense. But as we grow, these beliefs can begin to bind until eventually we're forced to shed our ontological skin. Gabriella Jeans is a London-based artist and occultist, as well as another attendee who will be joining us at the Swedish Art and a Culture Retreat this month. In her journey, Gabriella has pushed past the belief system she was born into to embrace chaos magic, that postmodern metamagical system which also informs the philosophical foundation of my own wizardry. As we'll hear from Gabriella herself in this episode, her initiatory experience is not unlike an X-Files episode. She experienced the tension of her own dual aspects, those inner Mulder and Scullies, the parts that wanted to believe, and the inner skeptic who was afraid to accept. And through an encounter with one of those mysterious beings that goes bump in the night, Gabriella was forced to reckon with a new understanding of reality. Now on the other side of that experience, Gabriella continues to use the mutable belief systems of chaos magic to make art across many mediums, including paintings, performances, video, and sculpture, all while exploring the magical implications of her own identity. But these revelations and realizations only come after the old paradigm falls away. And in order to reach that point, Gabriella had to learn how to survive a seance. Well, hello, Gabriella. Well, hello there, Devin. It's really lovely to meet you. Welcome to Ritual Space. I'm so glad that we could 
intertwine our time and have this delightful little conversation. Yes, thank you so much for having me. What's our magic word going to be? Okay, so it might be a little bit different. It's a it's a made up word. It has been divined, shall we say? Mm-hmm. And I hope I get this right on the first go. The word is urkabskakoslam. Ur. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to teach me to say it, and then everyone's okay. gonna say it with me. So one more time. Urkabskakoslam. <laughs> Ur. Kab Skakoslam. Okay. Yeah, probably good to split it up. Yeah, on the count of three, everybody, do your best to say it with us. One, two, three. Ud Kab Skakoslam. Love it. How did you divine this word? Okay, so it's actually very pertinent to our connection. Obviously, we're both going to this magic retreat that you've spoken about with River on a previous Mm -hmm. podcast. And I'm very excited about this. I'm very close with River. We met on another magic retreat and we feel like our paths are very entwined. We're Mm -hmm. like mirrors of one another in a way. And we were having a conversation online and I was so excited. You know, sometimes you do that thing where you just type random keys because you're just so happy. So Mm -hmm. I, I typed out all these random letters and Urkavskakoslam was the <laughs> result. And I was like, wow, that, that's my that's my excitement. That's what's come through in this random assortment of letters. And I said, oh, that looks like a magic word. I'm going to say that in the ritual podcast. And it's a spell for excitement. As a chaos magician, I'm very happy to use any kind of tools, change up my belief system, uh, mm-hmm. use any kind of type of spell work to to get my desired effect. And I feel like um, sometimes when something comes through in such a unique and disordered and chaotic way, it can be very powerful. Yeah. It makes me think of all of the cool words that you find in comic books where they are trying to either express like a sound effect, like Wolverine's claws come out and it goes snicked, or Spider-Man's mm. web goes thwipped. And so that kind of onomatopoeia, or also just, you know, characters being like, zoinks! And these nonsense words that are just so fun. You know, the Batman punches somebody and it goes, bazow! Ooh, that's a really good point. I hadn't even thought of that. But yeah, yeah. it is. It's like kaboom. It's, it, and it really seemed, to, it spoke to me really like that. And yeah. because it doesn't have any previous connotations, I felt it would probably be easier to put into my subconscious and use subliminally. Mm-hmm. And to kind of, yeah, just create your your own anchor because it is a uh, tabla rasa. It's, it's free of meaning and impression. You're not trying to wipe off the chalkboard. The chalkboard's already clean. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, absolutely. So this podcast obviously spans time and space because you and I are in two completely different countries right now as we speak. And then uh, the listeners are going to hear this later in time. You know, this that's the kind of thesis here that we're, we're weaving these things together. So one of the things I'm interested in about is how all of the different threads that are going to come together in this retreat, like where they start, how they entangle, and how we all come out the other side in a way that is different if different people showed up, right? Like if, you Mm -hmm. know, someone gets a a stomach flu and can't make their flight, then the retreat becomes different for everybody else. So going back, where was the retreat that you and River met at? 
So we met in Bali in a, a mountainous region. Um, I actually don't know where it was because we just got in a car. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I couldn't tell you. Um, and me and River, we were in the same taxi going over there. We met at the meeting point and we like, I don't know if it's okay for me to say this, but we, we, sh- we share the same real name. Um, mm. I don't know if River wants to share what her, what her birth name is, but we have the same name and we have a lot of similarities and we ended up being put in the same room, mm. whether that was because we have the same name or not, yeah. or, or just because the retreat facilitator felt like we would get along and intuited that. But obviously it was also a magic retreat. So very fated and the people running it were very intuitive. And so it could have been a bit of both. What was the focus of the retreat? It was magic and art. It was a magic okay. and art retreat. So, you know, just like the one we're going to go on, it feels very, uh, it feels very right. It feels good. Yeah. There's a tidiness to that that I appreciate. We, we ended up being in, uh, in this room that was uh, pretty much adjoined to the, the altar space room and the, and the ritual room. Mm. And the, the facilitator said that he'd put us in there because he felt like we could handle it <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so yeah me, me and River were like nice and, and we bonded over that we, we shared a room and really grew quite close actually yeah yeah I think um, it's a fascinating thing this idea of retreat and you know there's a whole bunch of themes that as I'm doing these episodes with different people who are attending that are kind of I think echoing and reverberating and we're finding a resonance as these ideas about what art means and what magic means and what removing yourself from the chaos and hustle of millions of people streaming by. You know, you and River could have sat next to each other on the tube and not engaged in conversation in the slightest, but you pluck you two out and you put them in the the room next to the ritual space and the altar, and suddenly a whole different bond is born. So I'm curious about you and your background. How were you drawn into magic and what does your magic practice look like now? I was born as a Catholic. I was baptized and my mom is quite religious. But to counterbalance that, my dad was atheist slash agnostic and, you know, believes in aliens, like (laughs) very much believes in um, what's it called? E- evolution, that old yeah. thing. <laughs> my my mom likes to say she doesn't believe in evolution, but I think she's joking. Yeah. I think <laughs> <laughs> uh, nervous laughter. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I was like forced to go to church basically, and then I decided to become an altar server because I thought. Well, I, I actually didn't decide. I was also kind of pushed into that, but yeah, I thought it was more fun. I had to arrive 15 minutes early to church, but then I got to like play with the fire and dress up and carry some candles around. And it was a bit more dynamic than sitting down, which I think as a child, it can be quite dry to just sit for an hour. Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. Back then an hour feels like a week, you know, because you you don't have the, the frame of reference. So when I went off to university, I was like, oh, thank God, now I don't have to go to church. Um, and I was like very staunchly atheist, really hardcore atheist, because I, I went through this process, like probably many people do, of thinking that the, the church was like so heavily patriarchal and hypocritical. And, um, you know, so many of the priests turn out to be pedophiles. And then yeah, it's covered up by the, the church elders. And it's like, like, do you guys really have like a moral one up on everybody else? Because it seems like you're worse. And then... Yeah. The fact that, you know, women 
in the scriptures it's told that like we're not allowed to speak or preach in church you know in the chapter written by Paul or whatever in, in his section um yeah. i mean now you know i've delved into theology a bit more now and like i believe Paul was a heretic you know and mm-hmm. ruined ruined christianity yeah. <laughs> uh, you know there was there's so many gems in there and like Okay, well, anyway, that's a, that's another podcast topic, probably. But no, but I think it's an important point because I think there's this idea now that the Bible was written by God in one go, and even if you don't believe that literally, you still take on this idea that this was kind of a complete work, rather than this was like you know like the history of music in the 20th century, like each person's kind of riffing on what came before, and there are people who took it in sort of a weird direction. And then, of course, the church hierarchy highlights the things that allow them to be a church hierarchy. And you end up with this system that is claiming priests are moral and special and different, even though, I mean, you know, throughout the Middle Ages, they were completely corrupt and there was huge problems with that that led to the Protestant Reformation. And these days we see it But now that the whole edifice is crumbling, I think that lots of people have your experience. If I grew up with this thing, it rubbed me the wrong way. And then you're in university and you're pushing back and exploring atheism and uh, what next? Yeah, well, you know, I was so hardcore. I was probably one of those people on internet forums like trying to disprove people that believed in God and thinking like, mm-hmm. wow, I'm so much like more intelligent than you. Oh, yeah. You know, we probably all go through one of those phases when we're, when we're teenagers. Um, luckily I, I grew out of it and, um, uh, it wasn't my choice though, really. Uh, well, it's never anybody's choice really, is it? It just happens sometimes. Um, you learn and you grow, but I decided it would be fun to do a, a seance as a joke with um, mm-hmm. a few of my friends it was actually quite a crowded room it was on halloween and i good time made, yeah yeah exactly i knew my stuff even if i didn't believe in it yeah. and we decided to do the seance in in our um halls our university halls which felt kind of haunted and at this point mm-hmm. it was still a joke and um i guess i must have had an interest in all of this stuff because i was the one pushing it but I really still believe I was, it was just like a joke. Well, if these things come out, you know, we've all experienced that friend who's making the dig and they're like, I'm joking. And you're like, I don't think you are. And, you know, homophobic men. Oh, what if we like pretended to kiss for the photo as a joke? And it's like, I think there's something there. So (laughs) I'm I'm sure the atheist that's like, haha, guys, what if we did a seance? is like, I want to do a seance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was probably exactly like that. I mean, I went as far as to, create the board out of like cardboard and I painted it and it took me ages. And then, oh, um, wow. and th- there were probably about 12 people in there. So, and like loads of candles and the energy was so strong. So, like so mm. powerful. There was one guy talking and, and like, he was a bit drunk. So I actually like physically removed him from the room. I like picked mm. him up and like moved him. I was so yeah. hot, like keen. And we started doing the seance and like, yeah, stuff was coming through. It was coming through. And there were so many people that I just didn't believe it, but what happened at the end was that we actually, we didn't close the board, even though I thought we had, I checked and what we were using as a planchette, like it was a millimeter away from the the goodbye word. Mm, and yeah. I was like, oh, it's probably fine. Yeah. But what happened was like, I immediately got like really sick. Uh, I was so drained. I'd never done any kind of like ritual work like that before. I guess that's what happened. Um, but I could barely move basically. And mm-hmm. it happened pretty much straight away. And from that night, I swear to you, like 
there was something in my room something I, I feel like something came through when we when we did that seance and I had no idea how to protect us what was safe whatever mm. and something just lingered around me after that and it went on for like six months and like really messed with my mental health because everybody just thought I was a bit, a bit crazy and I was taking a lot of drugs so I was just like I'm probably just crazy but um I didn't like going in my room I didn't like sleeping and I I was like probably it's just this haunted place like it's probably mm -hmm. fine like when I go home back to London I'll be fine and when I did go back to London I thought I was fine and after that year I was like that's it like the bad bad vibe is gone the spirit whatever it is it's gone but I was at home alone in, in this place actually mm -hmm. and uh, I was sitting next to the the piano we have a piano because my brother and sister were musicians and um something like smashed down on the piano uh, on the, like the low end of the keys and I was like uh-oh <laughs> like I, I noticed that there'd been like some creaking around the, yeah. the flat but I thought it was just like oh the house is moving a bit you know the mm -hmm. floorboards are a bit old and then it was like something had noticed that like I was I wasn't noticing it and it got it got annoyed so it like smashed down as hard as it could on like the lower end of the keys and I was I was terrified obviously and that's when I noticed that like the footsteps were like running around like getting really loud and I was like oh my god like I've actually finally lost the plot I'm actually I'm gonna have to get checked in somewhere and um so, and then I was like, okay, but I'm so scared. And so I was going to run out of the house. I was like, I can't handle this. So I was like, trying to run. It was like this thing could read my mind and it went to the front door and started jumping up and um, up and down in front of the front door to intimidate me, I, I believe. Mm -hmm. And it was so big. It was so heavy. This force, it, it, it sounded like two grown men jumping up and down as hard as they could, which is obviously wow. like very loud. And yeah. I thought if this thing is real, it's creating a huge amount of force and that kind of impact. Like I, I thought maybe I was going to die or something. I was going to start throwing plates at my head. You know, I've seen a lot of horror films. Um, I called somebody because I was like, I might have to, you know, I might need some help here. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that this person said when they answered the phone was, what's that noise? And so I realized wow. it wasn't in my head and yeah, um, it was actually in, in real life. So luckily I'd read a book by Corey Taylor, you know, the lead singer of Slipknot. Um, I, I know of him, but no, I, I didn't know that he'd written a book. Yeah, he's written books. He's written one specifically about paranormal activity. And oh, how fun. Yeah. Oh, he's such a jokes guy, actually. But he's had loads of paranormal experiences. And that was the only insight I had into witchcraft really at the time then or any kind of esoteric yeah. occultism. The Slipknot Guide to Supernatural Activity. Yeah, I mean, it's not a surprise. <laughs> yeah. um, but he basically said, this is our realm. And if you don't want something to be there, you can generally just tell it to fuck off. So yeah. I did. I stood up and I screamed at this thing to go away. Yeah. And everything, everything stopped just like that. And that was the moment I was like, oh, like, okay. Like that was my spiritual awakening basically. And yeah. people, people do say like their spiritual awakenings, you think it's going to be like a rainbow and some sunshine, like on your face and the, the angel chorus, but usually it's pretty terrifying. <laughs> you think you're losing your mind. Yeah. That's the classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some spooky, stressful shit. 
Yeah, exactly. So from that moment on, I was like, well, I'm going to have to learn about all of this stuff and research it properly and defend myself because, I mean, I believed I was being haunted and something was like following me. Although I've since come to believe that it was probably myself in the future coming back to awaken myself ah it's a possibility have you ever thought about that oh that's how i became a wizard i reached out to my future self and said if i make this choice right now in this ritual to become a wizard then the path of possibility in which i become the most wizardly wizard is available if i become the most wizardly wizard i could be when i'm kind of close to death at that point uh i'll have the most power to go back through time and aid my younger self and so yeah my whole deal is all about these time loops Mm. so i love that you also uh thought about it in that way yeah um i i believe that you can really work with time in so many different ways Mm -hmm. and i was also reading about this today by coincidence about people going back and helping their younger selves and sending love and all of this and I I feel like I've been there a few different times and it's also helpful to reframe this narrative like oh there's a scary spirit haunting me uh, to oh your powerful future self is Mm -hmm. waking you up (laughs) right and I think you can explore this in whatever degree of literalism you want you know you can have this be very metaphorical and this is an imaginative exercise you can be like no, I'm really time traveling. And that's, you know, that's a personal choice. But I think just as an exercise, having moments when you're struggling and thinking about the you that's on the other side of this and what they would be sending back to help you get through it is valuable. And then strengthening that muscle by at other times thinking about, okay, when was a time in my life when I was really struggling? How can I send some love back to that me that was going through the breakup or just lost the job or just didn't know what their purpose was and say, hey, come this way. We're up around the bend and it's a lot more fun over here. Don't worry. It gets better. Yeah, because that practice also strengthens you in the future. And Mm -hmm. I guess it speaks to me of that idea in physics of emergence where you know, there's a, a specific amount of energy in a in a finite system, but you combine that energy and you create a greater sum of energy so that it's more than a sum of its parts. Right. And I feel like that is one way of measuring the success of a magical endeavor, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like a different way of looking at energy. And you think like, oh, when you're when you're so happy and you send that back to your your past self. And that strengthens your entire timeline that immediately comes back to you. It's not like you give out energy. So your energy at that point is lessened. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just the strengthening of your structure and your foundation that has led up to that very moment. It's fascinating. Yeah, I, it kind of puts a little loop in the rope and, you know, gives you some knots to make the line a little bit stronger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I actually don't know much about rope. So maybe I, I don't know if that's actually how rope works, but I'm going <laughs> to pretend like it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, you know, yeah. probably. <laughs> so there's so many different paths of magic and different styles and things. Um, I'm curious, once you had this uh sort of initiate initiation experience and the only reference point you had was uh the slipknot spellbook uh what was the next thing that you found uh that kind of gave you more to work with and resonated with you so i i pretty much tried to find any sort of magic book that i i could after that and the mm. first ones i ended up looking at i think 
I was looking at Wicca and mm-hmm. that's what I could get my hands on. And so I started with um, some books by Doreen Valiente. And okay. uh, it was like pretty old school, like 1950s British yeah. witchcraft. And I sort of, I vibe with that. And I like to work with these, uh, you know, the the basics, like the directions, candle mm-hmm. magic, like understanding the the wheel of the year and yeah. like, you know, all of the sabbats and stuff like that. So that was, yeah, it was a solid foundation. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. It gives you things that look archetypally like magic, candles, these pagan holidays, and it gives you clear instructions. Whereas I think the the blessing and curse of chaos magic is that it's often, you know, hey, go figure it out. And you're kind of like, but just give yeah. me a starting place. I'm glad that I, I started off with, um, it was, it was, I, is Dorian Valiente a Wiccan? I'm not even sure. I'm not sure either the name's familiar, but I don't I don't entirely know who they are. But if it was in the 50s, then that would have been around that same time of like Gerald Gardner's books and uh, that first wave of what became called Wicca. Yeah, I was reading in and around that, like, like that area yeah. um, and that kind of group of people. I never vibed with Crowley. I, I've never yeah. even like read any of his work. I've just kind of like read around it and I'm familiar with Thelema, but never never dove into it and i would read like you know books by little known authors that i'd pick up in magic bookshops mm. and um yeah just I, I kind of built up the basics and it was a few years later that i read my first chaos magic book which was it was the classic text it was Liber null and psychonaut by mm-hmm. j carroll yeah that became my bible i was so into that that's when my magic really took off, I think you could say, because I I felt really confident just diving in and making my own kinds of spells. And after the rigidity of the Catholic Church, it mm-hmm. felt like such a breath of fresh air to be so eclectic and completely imaginative. And as a practicing artist, and I was studying fine art at the time, like contemporary art, which really teaches you to to see everything in such a different way and to understand the structure and the the materiality of something and and everything it points to and the history of an object and everything about um, like matter and it's all its configurations. And so in conjunction with this, like this whole new world of chaos magic, I really began to see reality again in, in a very different way that felt very malleable, very empowering. And it was also extremely theoretically interesting and it really held my attention because it was the first time I'd really um, come to see like theories of magic being opened up and yeah, debated basically. Yeah, getting into uh, a metaphysics that isn't just descended from on high because what i'm hearing in your journey is you know starting with this basis of catholicism where you were like okay cool if i'm going to if i'm going to have to sit here i want to i don't want to be in the audience i want to be on the stage i want to get to play with the props that's more exciting but i really don't like the storyline that they're giving me i think there's a lot of issues and then you rejected it with a kind of dogmatic atheism which is just you know you're keeping the rigidity but you're moving the substance and then wicca is in some ways 
putting new substance back in saying, okay, we still want to kind of play the game of church. We want to have candles. We want to say the things, but it's one, it's more interactive. We're not just saying only the priest can do it, but we're still more or less saying there's books that you have to follow. And why is it this way? Because it is this way. And there's this circular reasoning. And I think chaos magic is so beautiful in its postmodernism and the way that it's saying, well, how do we think this works? Here's some ideas about how it works, but also our ideas create how it works. So it all starts to fold in on itself. I think that's such a good point. And you really have to become so responsible for every part of your consciousness and your own belief system. And obviously, like working with belief as its own tool, it becomes so eye-opening and it's super empowering because you know you really understand how much you can create your own reality and when you start playing around with that you realize how you can improve so much of yourself on on every level it's quite overwhelming sometimes but uh, you know we're not always perfect and I slip up and my magic process goes goes through waves um but um yeah I, I was I loved getting into all of that stuff and uh, one of the things that I used to do back then, and I kind of like, I've kind of stopped doing that so much, but I might begin again, is like, it's a bit like how I believe it's in Libanon. Um, they talk about the um, the Octavius, you know, the, the star, the eight-sided mm-hmm. star, and how like chaos magicians should be like powering this up and like visualizing it and like giving it energy. And I used to do that a lot, but just like with my own like big black orb. And um, yeah. I, I'd like power up all the time and... It, it really works. <laughs> Just it's like yeah. a ba- it's like this battery, and um, sometimes I forget about it, and then I'm like, oh wait, like I'm a bit tired. Let's just get some of the energy from the orb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I think that's the thing that's so funny is like on one hand, chaos magic is like do what works. These are technologies, like you know, blah blah blah. Like I've got these results, and we're we're all about kind of showing off the effects of these spells. But then we can kind of lose track of the chaos aspect, and yeah. This is attractive to chaotic people that are trying to deal with unruly energies, both in the external world and in our own unreliable ass selves. So yeah, I think magic, you know, some people have great discipline and rigidity and are going to do their ritual every day, but I am not that person. (laughs) And I have found a lot more beauty in realizing that this is something that you forget and come back to over and over again. And you you know, kind of circle back around and have the same epiphany another time and go, oh, right, this thing that's so helpful. Why did I let that go? Yeah, it's kind of like the spiral, isn't it? And like you're Mm -hmm. hopefully ascending and like each time you cycle back around, you kind of have a bit more insight to add into what you you were working with back then. It's like with my Mm -hmm. art practice and like you spiral and you're like, oh, okay. And each time you're collecting more information, you've experienced lots of new things and met new people and heard their wisdom and it's like this constant growth process and um it's beautiful like yeah there's a fractal of new knowledge and understanding it's and it's really exciting to feel like you can really be at the helm of your own practice and i'm always open to new techniques um but i will say that i've actually also sometimes sometimes i do go back to the old catholic roots and uh mm-hmm. i do pray a lot to jesus and I, I pray a lot to to mary and i even have like my my mary iconography here 
Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's cute. And I think that's one of the things that's so fascinating is, you know, I was getting into chaos magic in the um, early to mid 2000s. And that was sort of the tail end of that first wave that began in the, the 70s and carried through in the 80s and 90s with uh, Temple of Psychic Youth and comic books and all these other kinds of things. And then I think that kind of ebbed into people saying, oh, chaos magic is too subjective, it's not structured enough, and we want to go back and have something more solid. And I've seen a lot more interest in grimoire magic or uh, Catholic folk magic and these other practices. But I think what's so funny is that it's still based on a very chaos magic foundation. Like, oh, it's yeah. still very much, you know, no, I'm deeply into Catholic folk magic, but also like eight other, you know, Afro-diasporic religions and also this. And even if I'm trying to be traditional, I'm trying to be <laughs> traditional about this whole smorgasbord of things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it, it feels really great because when you meet people from other religions and faiths, probably as a chaos magician, you've delved into that somehow or somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then you have this amazing basis for mutual understanding and, and growth mm -hmm. and, and a debate where you kind of already know a little bit and you're so open to what they're saying and like you're like primed to believe in it as well. Yeah. It's exciting. What is the interplay between your artistic practices and your magic practices? How does your magic feed your art and how does your art feed your magic? So back when I was uh, studying art at you know, fine art, we were very much taught that everything has a significance, the, the placement, um, the process. Mm -hmm. It seemed very clear to me that creating a work of art was exactly like creating uh, a spell or creating a ritual. And so this became my, uh, the under, underpinning for my whole art practice. And that's where my art practice still is today. And it's the, the idea that art is magic and it's something that I really believe in and I, I, it's a belief I propagate. And at the moment, I would say I mainly focused on performance. And so I, I do these, I call them performances, but really they're actually rituals. And a lot of my focus right now is on creating these like public rituals and creating spaces, open spaces in London where people of any kind of walks of life or faith or whatever are free to come and join in um, a ritual. Usually it's a chaos magic ritual. I work with one of my good friends. His name's Gregory Gregory, Dr. Gregory Gregory. And okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, we met through fate, essentially, and we've been putting on these rituals for a few years now. And I would say that that's a form of art. And um, it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, the people that have come and been touched by our work and then the people we've met through that and we now have like a big network of magical like-minded people that um come together and uh it's, it's really beautiful but i think i'm i'm going to go back to creating more physical objects and i'm also getting uh back into painting and drawing because i think in a way that that's like a it's a way of for me understanding metaphysics because like when you're in that space when you're like drawing and you don't know what's coming through I do tend to get a lot of um, downloads or at least like I, I feel like I understand the universe a little bit better. Um, mm -hmm. do, you, you, do you make art as well? Are you an artist? No, I'm just a loud mouth and I, I run <laughs> my, my words constantly. So yeah, you know, magic was one of the things that I was drawn to because I 
really couldn't draw very well. I was never musically inclined, but I always felt quite creative. And so for a long time, it was a private practice of kind of saying, okay, what's the change I'm trying to make in the world and how do I create my ritual performance piece for one where I'm both the actor and the audience? And then as I stepped into this wizard role, um, I've engaged in similar things of generally working with you know, lay audiences, I'll call them, people who aren't saying, oh, I'm coming from this very specific background or I know everything about chaos magic, but people who are kind of like, a wizard? What? Like, you're going to like summon a dragon? What does that mean? And then I invite them into this experience that kind of shows them the magic around them and have them go, whoa, whoa, that was actually, there's something cool there. Uh, but mm. that makes me quite curious about, um, you know, I don't know if there's a specific ritual or one time among many that, kind of comes to mind. But can you talk us through about what one of these ritual performance pieces is like, uh, how it comes together? And, sure, yeah, sure. Just kind of- well, we like to, um, they're very theatrical. We often mm-hmm. have uh, a lot of people and um, there's usually some sort of site and happening that functions as the like the crux of the ritual or like the the peak of gnosis for, for the crowd. Catharsis, yeah. So, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of them was on this very public beach area and uh, by the Thames in the middle of London. Mm-hmm. And throughout this ritual, uh, probably about a hundred people gathered in the, in the crowds to watch. And well, I'd constructed this massive pyramid um, out of um, fabric and, and metal. And there were two women hiding inside of it. And um, like, it was a secret, like nobody knew. And it was, um, we came in with the, all, all of our cloaks and staffs and fire and torches and drums and mm-hmm. create a spectacle and people are intrigued. And we, we have this whole thing planned out. We open the directions like in a normal ritual. And um, then at some point, like this was a ritual to Persephone and it was about like Persephone mm-hmm. having autonomy and ha- having made the choice to go down into hell. And it was about like um, the power of the feminine and the, sh- and the shadow. And also we paid respect to Hades. Like we're, we're super like, when we're very like balanced in our approach to, to magic working. But, and then at one point, um, my, my friend is a chemist and we have these tricks that we like to employ. So we just had this powder and we put it on the base of the pyramid and it just, it looked like it set a light by itself. And this wow. huge pyramid, it's like nearly seven foot tall and it's like completely blazing from nothing. And everyone's like, oh my God. And like, it, and then the chaos ensues and everybody's like drumming and screaming and dancing. And we mm-hmm. gave out drums to the audience and that was like, as you say, with lay people, they come in and they're like, oh, and they kind of have like a bit of an awakening or they realize that there's something else out there. Yeah. So that's pretty common, like that that kind of thing. That's the sort of thing we like to do. I love that so much because I think, you know, there's this literalism that I think keeps coming to mind for me where especially when I was first learning about other cultures and like, you know, this idea of magic. I was like, oh, if you're going to summon a demon, it's supposed to be like in a movie where like a fiery circle opens up and a demon comes out that if it shoots fire at the wall, the wall's scorched. If somebody else comes in and sees that, that's going to be the case. But science tells us that's impossible. And I have a hard time believing that's possible. So then I don't really like get how to interact with this. And then thinking about it in metaphorical terms uh, was quite valuable because then you're like, okay, that makes more sense to my modern mind. But I think with 
you know, things like Wicca, where there's a defensiveness almost, where everyone's telling us this is make-believe, so we want to say this is really real. We kind of got rid of the idea that you could have these quote-unquote little magic tricks. We're not stage magicians. This is different. We would never do that. Mm -hmm. But when you actually explore older rituals, that kind of trickery is everywhere. That's a huge part of it. The elders in the village know that there's this whole stash of crazy masks that have been made, and they don't tell the kids that there's these masks. The kids don't know that they're masks. They're just in the middle of the ritual, and suddenly there's demons coming out of the woods, and they think they're literally real. Or folk healers in Mexico, where, yes, there's these two powders that we mix and make smoke that comes out of your abdomen. And then we're not telling you, hey, we're about to do a magic trick, but you experience this as so much more visceral and real. And so I love that you're bringing that back. So it's not just, hey, everybody, we're going to say these words and put on these costumes and dance in a circle. There's an element of surprise and showmanship and yeah. uh, real magic that you're creating for them. Yeah, I think that's really eloquently put. And I think it also touches on the subject of whether you believe in the psychological model of magic or whether you believe in the, the spirit model of magic. Mm-hmm. And probably as chaos magicians, we actually don't have to decide that. I think it's I think it's both. I think both work. I believe in the I believe in the spirit world. I believe in whatever I want to believe right. <laughs> at, the, at the time. But I think that's extremely powerful using all the trickery, using the lights and the smoke and transporting somebody into this like new state of mind and excitement through these stagemanship activities. Um, And then there's these things also that, that catch you off guard that you think, Oh, you get into this mind frame where, Oh, it's, it's just about the, the trickery, transporting you and changing your psychology and changing your brain state with the, the music and the sound. Mm-hmm. And then, like, for instance, like today I was on this cool, I was in my psychic class that I have mm-hmm. every week, love it. And this guy was reading for me and he was honing in on like a particularly important point. And the, the bottle of water next to me is, is clear and the water inside it just started moving like sloshing right up at the sides and nothing else was moving I hadn't touched the table it was like violently sploshing and sometimes that stuff happens and that's no trick (laughs) these things are real like I've definitely experienced spiritual activity that is what people would call paranormal I don't necessarily believe in that term but in a, a really crazy beautiful world out there and I'm open to everything yeah There's outliers, right? You know, that there's all kinds of events happening and they sort of shake down into a standard curve. And that's where most stuff happens. But you talk to anyone and there's tons of stuff that doesn't Mm -hmm. fit into that. Absolutely. Oh, I was, I used to be obsessed with like uncovering, I was researching every person's um, ever, um, ever possible experiences of the paranormal. And I will have to say that at least 60% of people have had something completely inexplicable happen to them. So yeah. on the surface, it looks like the modern world and, and people in our society don't believe in it at all. But scratch the surface a tiny bit and pretty much everyone believes in it really. It's fascinating. Oh, I mean, there's so many issues that we had in society and still do where no one talked about it. So, oh, 
that's an extreme thing. Normal people don't do that, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly you scratch the surface and everyone's like, oh no, we're all, we're all struggling with depression or domestic violence or alcoholism or these other things behind closed doors. And we're just keeping that private. And I think we still have this thing where most people keep those things private and then it doesn't become part of the conversation of, oh yeah, what are we actually all really experiencing? Oh, this is such a good point. It reminds me of that um, traditional um, witchcraft um, epithet, like to uh, what is it to to will, to dare, to know, and to keep silent. Mm-hmm. And I think about that last one, and I think it was um, Peter Gray or, or um, his partner, um, the, the dancer and artist. Um, what's her name? Kistis Demesh. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. Oh. <laughs> um, but she's amazing as well. So, like, my apologies to her for hopefully not butchering her name but they were like no we shouldn't we shouldn't be keeping silent anymore like it's like it's the Mm -hmm. time to speak it's the time to champion witchcraft because witchcraft is like and in a lot of ways it's an anarchist way of belief and like being in the world and Mm -hmm. really in my opinion if you're if you're like doing witchcraft and magic well it does engender a deep care for all things all beings like even every molecule I think it's truly beautiful and powerful. Yeah, it's a way of engaging with the world in a different way, especially when we're all kind of having to chew ourselves out of these outdated belief structures that are just holding on through sheer uh, institutional inertia and aren't relevant, aren't serving people. And then when we chew our way out, we're just thrown into this chaos of consumerism and pop culture and things, which there's some value there, but... Uh, it's it's like trying to live on Doritos alone. It's not a full nutritious diet. So yeah, trying to find meaning is the the great work. Exactly, and to really uphold and value our consciousness, and to understand that that is something that we can protect, and that it is something that can have a good or bad diet. Just as in, well, well you know, Doritos is not good for our body, and like being on Instagram all day is not good for our, our consciousness or yeah. our soul. And it's like the fast food of consciousness. And it's something that we should speak up about more probably and and try to work together, in my opinion, as a community to feed in like a better, more organic quality or food for our consciousness. It's like a yeah. war. It is, it, well, don't like to say that because it kind of makes it more true, but we need to look yeah. after our consciousness, basically. It's a struggle. Yeah. It can, yeah. 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 <laughs> I find it a struggle. I fucking love Instagram. Yeah. I like Doritos. You know, I think that's the thing too, is that you, yeah. you, you go to the other extreme and then you have this dogma. And that's, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to find with my wizardry is I'm like, okay, on the one hand, I, I agree that there's problems in society and I want to acknowledge those, but everyone hates the fucking hoity-toity vegan Puritan who is so, you know, holier than thou and better than everything. If that's your trip, you know, like, God bless you, have fun. But I don't know. I'm going to want a late night slice of pizza now and again. And I don't want, uh, what is it? Emma Goldman said, it's not my revolution if I can't dance. It's like, I want to live in a world where we can have a little bit of this in the right space because we've seen, you know, what happens when you try to completely suppress all vice, all impulse, and it just comes back in a really nasty way. So how do we kind of, exactly, how do we dance with that? (laughs) Yeah, that's a beautiful way of looking at it as a dance. It's, yeah. yeah. And you need all elements for a successful dance. Yeah. What in the world of magic, art, and your own being um, are you excited about right now? 
What's drawing your attention, your interest, your fascination? Okay, well, I don't know if this is exactly the answer um, that you're looking for, but I'm... I'm only looking for the answer that you're going to give. That's <laughs> <Okay>. the only... <laughs> that's the point of a question. Well, um, I am moving to Florence to go and study art in in Ooh. October. And I'm really excited to to do like a very, to make a very chaos magic thing of it and change my, probably change my name, dye my hair, change my clothes and really step into a a new role and new character. A reinvention. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's, I think I will be able to create this character in a way that um, is probably the most extreme change that I've ever been able to do. And I'm just excited as a kind of chaos magic practitioner scientist. So I'm excited to see what comes of that and um, how to to track the magical significance of going through such a alchemical process. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really wonderful endeavor. Um, you know, I, I changed my name in a, quite a bit when, and I, I had a physical transformation when I became a wizard. My hair all turned white for a while. Um, and Ooh. I think there's, you know, like when you go to a foreign country, right, you kind of see the things that are different and are similar, and it suddenly allows you to see your own country in a different way. Uh, not necessarily in this binary, this one's good and this one's bad, but suddenly you're like, oh, I didn't realize this was part of my cultural background until I was a place where that wasn't there. And I think when you go through one of these transformations, at least in my own experience, I was able to see who I was by becoming somebody different in a way that was very fascinating. So, Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think when you change uh, your appearance and you change your place and you change your friends, um, what is stale and what are like old fabrications of reality that are just clinging to you, they can just get brushed away like old spider's webs. And what steps out from you is like so fresh and new and so much more rooted in in, in truth um, mm-hmm. and, and what is like real for you and like how your will wants to come through rather than like fabrications. Yeah, even if you don't have an explicit magical framework for it, I think sometimes when you move, that just happens naturally. You have a life that is held in place by the patterns of, oh, I hang out with these friends and we do these activities and this is what's going on. But underneath the surface, you're like, oh, I'm kind of curious about doing more, you know, this, or I want to take a comedy class or these these like under the surface subliminate desires. And then when you move, suddenly you just find yourself making friends who like don't do the old things and are interested in the new things. And you're like, oh, wait, all of this has just kind of come naturally. It's not like I really tried to make it a magical thing or I tried to be so strategic in how I sought it out. It kind of just flourishes. Yeah, absolutely. When you feel like you're really living in alignment, like I, I feel like a lot of the best stuff comes through for me then. Yeah. Well, let's get aligned on the spell that we're going to use to close out this episode. So okay. I feel like you've got you've got a lot in your book of shadows, your little chaos magic cabinet. What is something small that the listeners can use to just alter their reality? Okay. Well, first of all, I like to go to a specific place that I see in in the astral realm and Mm. for me it's this uh infinite chessboard so i like Mm. to imagine myself there and it goes in all directions well i mean it's you're on a plane on a surface yeah but 
it, wherever you can see. It's Finitely that, infinite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same paradox. And I just imagine myself there, close my eyes, and I feel like that's a pretty powerful technique for me. So if everybody would like to do that. Sorry, I'm really taking the lead now. <laughs> no, that's great. That's the, that's the whole thing. So when you go, I, I think this idea of a mind palace or just an astral temple or whatever you want to call it, um, do you just go there to kind of rest and see what happens? Do you go there with a specific task in mind? What is your relationship to this uh, this chess plane? Well, often I do speak about this in a space where I'm hosting a, um, a ritual with several people or or a group of people because I think it helps to align everybody if I ask everybody to appear in the same place and everybody's imagining the same thing. I really do Mm. believe that rituals, group rituals are more powerful because they have more minds concentrating on the task at hand. But I think they're more powerful if everybody is actually concentrating on the same intention and it's not like all firing and different different things, different things going on in their minds. I love it. So I'm going to I'm going to yes and this chessboard and I'm going to add a new twist of I think this should be a, a shared ritual. You know, you can do it with a group of friends or just one person, but get a group together, kind of set a magical vibe however you want, some ambient music, some candlelight, you know, whatever feels right to kind of get in that zone and then invite everybody to this mental chessboard and maybe make it so you can kind of go back and forth. So if someone's saying, oh, you know, I'm seeing this weird bunny. Okay, share that out loud. Take a moment to let everyone else see if they can orient to that bunny as well. Now you all have a chessboard and there's a bunny there. Okay, what else is going on? Okay, somebody says, I think the bunny is starting to do magic tricks. Okay, great. What card does the bunny draw? Somebody else shares that and you can kind of create this shared uh, experience together. Yeah, absolutely. And all of these things help you tune into this different plane of reality. And the more you focus on it and the more you try and sync your minds up to this experience, it definitely becomes more real. And it's a really powerful place to be creating magic. And I often ask people to to create the same action with their astral body. Um, the pyramid is a very potent symbol for me. And I often ask people to walk through this pyramid as if going through a portal and each time they take one of these actions the spell gets stronger and stronger i love it yeah another one of my favorite techniques for creating a stronger spell is that part of the ritual is to bring into it an intention that you know for sure is going to work or has already happened which is like a Mm -hmm. technique that many people use but i find that very powerful because it like shows your mind like you do create reality what you say is true and it's like abracadabra basically this is um this is a technique we use in hypnotherapy called pacing and leading so instead of just saying okay just relax just relax your body completely well that could be hard if someone's feeling tense they're not there yet and so you want to start with things that you know are true So I would start by saying, okay, right now, if you close your eyes, you can hear the sound of my voice and you can start to be aware of your body and you can notice where feels relaxed already. Is there a place that already feels relaxed? And where do you feel tension? Notice those differences. Where do you feel tightness? Where do you feel relaxation? And we're not trying to do anything yet. But I've described things that are obviously true because if if you're listening, you're hearing me. That's true. If you're listening and hearing, you have a body. 
if you start to pay attention to your body, you will notice, oh, okay, yeah, my feet actually feel pretty comfy, but my shoulders and neck are so tight. And then instead of being off track where I'm just going love and light, relax, relax, and someone's going, oh, my neck and shoulders are so tight. I'm not in sync. You've kind of created those obvious things that uh, you know break the ice and, and forge the path. Yeah, absolutely. It's like slowly kind of tricking yourself until you're really ready for the, the magical working. Yeah. Well, since this ritual is a podcast and this podcast is a ritual, I'd like to end with uh, setting an intention that we can check back in on uh, later in time. Uh, what is your intention for this retreat we'll be attending? Good question. <laughs> My intention is to create a stronger sense of magical artistic community. Wonderful. I share the same goal. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I feel this podcast has already set that in motion. So it's a very powerful example of what we just spoke about. We're already speaking about it in the future. That audio is available for the people who come later. So awesome. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. I've had a great session. For more of Gabriella's Magic, visit GabriellaJeansArt.com. And at this point, I'm slightly out of sync with time. This is an episode I recorded before I left for Sweden, but now I'm in Sweden as this episode is being released. And so time is folding in on itself, becoming disjointed, stranger, and I am sure that I am already awash in a string of synchronicities, which will be spiraling in on themselves and blossoming and blooming into new patterns of possibility that I invite you to continue exploring with us on this podcast is a ritual. So thank you, as always, for being a part of this journey and making this magic possible.